You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, developing smart solar software you can trust for homes, businesses and solar retailers right here in Australia. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Solar Insiders and the first one of 2021. Welcome back, Nigel Morris. You made it through the holidays. <laughs> yes. It was a lockdown Christmas, Giles, but, um, you know, can't complain. Uh, I live in a beautiful part of the world uh, and um, so it was a bit tough for the first couple of Well, it was only tough because I've got teenage kids who were driving me mental, but uh, once we got past that... And the rain stopped. We jumped in the camper van and had a quick run up the coast. So um, all in all, cannot complain, mate. How about you? Mustn't complain. Well, we didn't have a lockdown Christmas, although uh, my daughter couldn't come because she was in the same postcode as you and, and was, was sort of stuck there um, oh. by herself, unfortunately. And um, we actually made a dash south to Tasmania. And um, that was a bit complicated because we had to go from the New South Wales to the Gold Coast to Victoria and Tasmania. And the, um, oh. the Victorians dreaded us in full hazmat gear and um, wanted us to sign forms away. And uh, I mean, we were actually really worried that we'd sort of, you know, I still can't believe that there was nothing, no virus in Byron Bay. And we we're just waiting for there to be a virus in Byron Bay yeah. and a, um, a a red thing, you know, um, identified, hotspot identified. And wherever we were, we'd have to sort of, you know, be locked away. And I was very worried about the standard of motel that we might find ourselves in, in um, wherever we were. But anyway, look, we went and all was good. And um, Wow, well the, done. Well, look, the well, good news... I was supposed to go to Victoria to see my daughter too, and we couldn't go. We, we oh. were... We were tarred with the brush, mate. We you were tarred with the brush. Well, we yeah, couldn't well, get across. We couldn't get across the bridge. The only thing we could do was go down there and jump <laughs> off it and have a good time, which is, you know, one of the pleasures of life is jumping off a bridge into a lagoon. But you know, I really wanted to see my daughter. She's pregnant. I'm going to be a granddad. Oh, congratulations! Oh, fantastic! Thanks. Another another addition to the solar community. <laughs> let's let's hope so. I'll let's hope so. And tar tar this grandchild with the brush, no doubt. Yeah, look, anyway, look, we've got lots of um, really exciting things happening in 2021. I mean, not only are we doing this, uh, there's talk of a little branch off and a special series on the future of solar. So we're pretty excited oh, about know. that. I know, we, we've got plans in the making, haven't we've we? We've got plans in the making. And, and look, we've been talking about it often enough, but we're actually going to be doing some video as well. So yep. um, stand back, anyone, stand back, anyone. Um, <laughs> this is, you know, you're going to have to come in from the gardening and driving the kids and the washing up. You have to sit down and watch us. But... Only for, few, only, to, only for a few minutes. We're both going to have to tidy ourselves up. Well, I'm going to well, speak for myself here, but I keep looking at the camera view going, this is never going to work. This is never <laughs> going to work. Look, look, the producer here is just more worried about the reflections from my head and my scone. So look, I think once we can solve that problem, then I think we're away. Yeah. Look. Mate, um, yes. look, there's a lot to talk about, but I'm going to kick so it off much. by just sort of saying it's all happening in WA. Um and not just in the COVID things that we've just seen in the last couple of days, but also in solar. Look, Gina Reinhardt, the great funder of some of the um, most strident anti-climate and renewable policy um, um, institutions and a great supporter of Barnaby and Matt and things like that, she's decided to go solar. She's going to stick a 30 megawatt solar farm on the Roy Hill um, Iron Ore Mine, the source of most of her money making or much of her money making. 
And she's doing that because she's got to cut emissions and she's going to save money. So um, I think the planet's saved. <laughs> yeah. When Gina has to do it because it makes sense, it kind and of it makes money. Something. Well, it, it makes does. money and it makes sense, and you just got to kind of go there. And I like it. I like yeah, it. I want to be. I want to be in the room when uh, she tells Barnaby. But um, and Matt, maybe that that'll be that'll be good. But but not only that, BHP has signed up a um, a the biggest solar farm in WA, Meriden, which was completed last year. It's out in the um, out in the Wheat District, out um, out east. I always get it back to front over in WA. But that's going to help power the nickel refinery they've they've got there. So one half of the electricity needs a nickel refinery coming from the solar farm. So that's a major major thing. Can and, I just um, can I just say hmm. how if we go just go back a few years and just go imagine someone saying yeah I've got a nickel refinery mate that's what I do run a nickel refinery and half my power comes from solar panels mate <laughs> really I mean that's quite profound Giles it's quite profound it is. It is. It's. It's pretty stunning, actually. Um, so um, that's a real change in the conversation, and particularly when you hear about people building new mining projects, and they're not talking just about fifty percent solar or seventy percent solar or eighty percent solar. They're actually talking about one hundred percent solar, granted with a battery and with diesel backup, um, just in case. But they plan to not use a diesel backup, and basically is just providing enough solar to fill the battery and get enough going and a lot a lot of these operations they can actually just change their demand to when there is supply so they don't have to run these things at any particular time so when the sun's shining uh, we'll run it off we go dispatchable demand dispatchable demand absolutely dispatchable demand now there's the future right there is people tailoring their businesses around the availability of renewables there you go. You've got it in one. And that's the way the wow. grid's going to look like in the future. Um, and it's not going to be hard. And it's going to be helped by um, by vast amounts of green hydrogen, not this horrible sort of gas and coal hydrogen that some people still insist on talking about. Interestingly enough, moving over to Queensland, we've got the Queensland government talking about a solar-fueled green hydrogen plant stuck where? right next to the Cogan Creek Golf Fire Power Station in Queensland. So that's the newest and supposedly the most efficient coal generator in Queensland. It's like, well, let's stick, <laughs> a, solar, let's stick a solar farm there, not instead, but as an, as, as an addition, and we'll <laughs> put an electrolyzer there and we'll make green hydrogen. You do want to make sure they're actually using the solar for green hydrogen and the electrolyzer and not the coal plant, otherwise that would be a really bad, bad move. But look, you know, that's the way they're thinking now, and it's, um, it's pretty exciting. I love it. I love mm. it. It's, mm. it's, 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 again, I mean, we spent a lot of time last year, Giles, talking about not just about what could happen, but actually what was happening. And this is just more, 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 more of businesses. And, and you know, not, not, you know, flaky, lefty, greeny businesses, but hardcore mining right-wing supported businesses going, Eh, actually, the cheapest way to solve this problem is with renewables and a bit of solar. <laughs> um, and if we, uh, yeah, we've got a coal-fired power plant, but geez, we need to whack some panels next to that to make it actually work. Yeah. I love Who'd it. have thought, Nigel? Who'd have Who'd thought? Have yeah. Thought.
And look, just to sort of zip back across the border over to WA again, there's two other little things which um, just caught my attention because they're both announced this week. It seems to be the start of New Things Week, so um, just we didn't start our podcast two weeks ago. But look, um, so Horizon Power have done a deal with um, a group called Amp Controller, and basically this is sort of um, stand standalone power systems. And if you remember, they going back going back last year, they're rolling out all these standalone power systems because they basically decided it's going to be cheaper to cut off the wires, particularly in these remote areas and Western Power are doing the same thing, cut down hundreds of kilometres of wires, taking dozens or even more than 100 people off the grid, giving them solar and batteries and yep. a small diesel generator. These new ones come on the back of a truck and be can be deployed in 90 minutes. So I presume they just sort of get towed. They're put stuck in a trailer. You fold them out, you plug them in, off you go. How simple is that? I love um, it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's I'm great. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to sound like an old guy here, but going back... Oh, Fifteen years plus, probably more. Ergon were doing that up in the northwest of Queensland uh, and the northeast of Queensland. I remember working with uh, Solar Pioneer Michelle uh, Gilden, um, who was a pioneer, and Grant Berendorf, who developed an awesome deployable product because they worked out the same thing. Actually, it made more sense to deploy solar and a backup generator and some batteries. Uh, than it did to extend the grid, and they developed a um, a, a wonderful um, pre-packaged solution that they could drop off the back of a truck, and they'd, uh, they'd um, go to these remote stations. I actually went to a couple of them for the opening, and um, it's funny how things that go around come around, and here we are 15 years later, and we've got another network company saying, actually, it makes more sense to do it this way. Yeah, I guess what we're seeing now is the whole kit and caboodle, the whole mini, kind of mini grid type of thing. And look, just what I would just one more thing from WA is um, the Energy Minister Bill Johnson um, unveiled on Wednesday morning their first big virtual power plant. So 500 different installations, solar, battery storage. Um, and some other stuff, which they're calling Project Symphony. Now, isn't that nice? Um, and this is actually really important for WA because even though it hasn't got quite as much a penetration of solar as, say, South Australia, um, it's on a grid by itself, so it doesn't can't connect with anybody else. It's kind of got to manage it all in-house. And nice. it's been at the forefront to not just sort of take people off the fringes and take them off grid. It's been at the forefront of community battery storage, and now it's doing this first big virtual power plant. So um, interesting stuff. I like it. VPP is a really interesting one. We've been involved in a, uh, in a big exercise over the last year or so um, uh, doing some synthetic VPP modeling, actually, um, using our database of users to synthesize what the outcomes would be under different scenarios. And we've, we've had a lot of lessons from that, actually, mm. um, which we'll be happy to share um, uh, in the coming months. But VPP is a really interesting one. It hasn't really got there yet, but it's another one of these, you know, VPP, peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, community solar. There's, there's a whole lot of these kind of little niche applications um, that haven't quite bubbled to you know, mass market yet, uh, but they're starting to come, hey? So it's great to see yet another yeah. example. And a micro-grid example like that in WA, awesome, awesome.
Yeah, look, the VPP is interesting. We actually had an interview on Energy Insiders a couple of weeks ago with Alistair Parker, who's been one of the sort of consumer-focused people at Osnet, and he's talking about how, yeah, on an individual basis, when you try and sort of roll out some of these initiatives, like sort of time of time of use for solar and things like that, kind of doesn't work. There's no kind of engagement, and I guess if you're talking about VPPs on an individual basis, people go, well, how come you're going to be using you know half the batteries reserved for you, and they don't quite get that. But what he said was that when you actually talk to individual individual communities and there's buy-in on a community level, that's when it really takes off. And you just saw that as actually really, really absolutely quite essential um, yep. because then get the whole community buy-in, everyone's kind of on the same page, everyone's excited about it, and that's kind of when it works. And there's no sort of neighbour envy or battery envy or solar envy or, or whatever it is. That's What's in it for me? Yeah, yeah, I or, like it. Or, or people who just don't care, but you know, they're happy mm. to be part of a community effort. So, yeah, no, that's, um, that's interesting. Yeah. That's super cool. It is super cool. Now, mate, um, I think I've done my so, run. What's, what's, well, let's what's go to some more. I mean, good news. I'm going to take you right back, actually, with some good solar news. We, we always like to throw some, just not not just crap solar, but some good solar news. And uh, I'm just going to, hang on, my dog's bloody scratching. Sit down. Sit down. Come on. <laughs> Pickles, sit down. Neighbours, that's what you do when your dog scratches yourself. You shout right. it to sit. There, there you go. How does that quite Relate. work, Nigel? Oh, no, he's coming for a scratch. Good God. He's coming for a scratch. Um, sorry. A Great Dane uh, called Pickles. Oh, oh, a Great Dane called Pickles. Yes. Um, <laughs> sit down. Sit down. Um, okay, so I'm going to take you right does, back. Does, does, does Pickles want to take us through the last couple of days or something? So he's got something to say. <laughs> not very chatty. Uh, so <laughs> just wants a scratch. not going to help. Uh, if one of the boys comes through the gate, though, he's going to crack off. So we'll hear from him. But no, I'm going to take us right back, actually, Giles, because, you know, right back, almost 30 years ago, one someone said to me the other day, Nigel, why do you love, what is it that you love about selling solar? What is it that you really gets you fired up? I said, you know what? I'm not actually a sales guy. I, 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 you know, intrinsically, I didn't wake up one day and go, yeah, I want to be a sales guy. I don't want to be a sales guy. But what I love about solar and renewables is is helping people make amazing changes to their situation. And I told this story about some people that I helped in the Philippines or, 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 or watched a project help in the Philippines. And there was such a good story that came up just today in my news feed. So Rwanda, right, is like 15% of, of homes uh, uh, and, and families in Rwanda have access to electricity. No one Virtually no one has access to reliable electricity. Terrible, terrible scenario. So they use petrol in their lamps to try and study at night. Um, they, they can't charge their phones uh, unless they go down to a community diesel generator and charge it off. Lo and behold, this incredibly innovative guy has collected up a bunch of scrap materials. He's worked out how to make himself a 15-kilowatt homemade Pico Hydro He's scrapped up some pipe from somewhere that he found in a gutter. He's run that down the hill. He's built a shed out of mud bricks, thrown some old tin on it, cobbled together bits of cable and metal to make a distribution and transmission system and distributed 15 kilowatts of hydropower to no less than 50 homes, right? For a few thousand bucks. It was just the most glorious story of how Really what it said to me is, you know, we've got energy all around us, whether it's micro hydro or solar or wind or whatever it is, there are ways that people, even in developing countries with 
the most limited access to resources can find ways to avoid using fossil fuels and to extend the runtime. And this guy was telling this story in this Newsweek article about how, you know, people, kids particularly, are affected by this. They're not having to breathe in fumes from petrol-powered lamps. They're not having to have fumes go into their eyes, which is a major cause of disease in developing countries from, from kerosene and petrol-powered lamps. But instead, they can flip a switch, turn on a little, a little LED light globe, charge their phone so they've got access to the outside world. And, uh, you know, I just thought it was a wonderful reminder of the heart of what we're at here, Giles, and that is not only you know, megasod-style power plants, but also providing access to energy for people who don't have it. So I thought that was the most wonderful way to kick off the year because it reminded me of where we came from. That's exactly right, um, uh, Nigel. There's, there's actually been a couple of Australian companies. Um, Pollinate, for one, has been in India doing exactly the same thing, but with solar lamps and um, other things like that. Because as you say, people want burning kerosene. One, it's just incredibly costly, it's incredibly polluting, and it's incredibly damaging. So Pollinate's been um, set up by a couple of Australians, um, have, has been doing gangbusters in India, and there's been a couple of other... Um, big firms trying to do the same thing in Africa, um, Solar Century, um, I think, and, and, and some others. So we keep on forgetting that there is about half a billion people, just think about that, half a billion people who are not connected to the grid or don't have access to electricity. And it is increasingly obvious to most of these people that the best way of giving electricity is not to build a coal-fired power station and a big network and, and, and um, so on all up to that. It's through microgrids and mini-grids and renewables and things like that mm -hmm. because just the, the cost and the health and the climate impacts. Um, Love good stuff. Yeah, Love it. Absolutely. That's a good start. Um, and what else have I got? Good solar news. Mate, I'm going to jump in and make a little announcement about a launch if I can because oh, we, 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 uh, we mentioned last year some of the cool stuff that we were doing at Solar Analytics with API and cloud monitoring and connecting and controlling devices remotely in a whole new way. And lo and behold, sorry, that clunk, that was the dog hitting his head on the bottom of the table with his... <laughs> Thanks, we didn't Nick. actually hear it, Thanks, Nigel. We'll take, your, oh, okay. we'll, we'll take your word for <laughs> it. Fairly big dong in my ears. Um, uh, in January, uh, we actually announced the extension of our pilot trial. So we did pilot trials last year. We announced our RA service. Um, I think you referred to me as Secret Agent Morris, if I recall correctly, because <laughs> we're agents. Uh, we've done our testing we've proven that we can do it and we very very excitedly which much with much fanfare actually um that you'll see over the coming weeks have now launched this australia wide so what's really really what's really cool giles is that you know most people traditionally know solar alex for those 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 that company with the little widget that measures measures stuff in the switchboard that then you know populates amazing information to a dashboard but in this case what we're actually doing is we're partnering with inverter companies and our first uh, inverter company off the blocks is SunGrow and what we're doing is we're actually using their hardware so there's no hardware there's no solar analytics device in 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 what we offer we actually say no 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 don't use our device this is a, a, a different option that allows you to use the SunGrow hardware, their consumption meter, their inverter, their communications, whatever it is, LAN or Wi-Fi or their 4G dongle. And what we do is we connect to that device, pull the data across the cloud via API, and then punch it into our dashboard. 
So what that means is we can do it cheaper, we can do it faster, we can give more options for people. Um, and um, so we're super excited. And it also enables us, and API is this really interesting space where we can remotely control the inverter via that API, via that remote cloud control uh, connection. So it's, it's really fun for us. We've launched it Australia-wide, we've uh, reduced the price, and uh, I, can't, I think I got a text message from the boss that there may actually be tens of thousands of dollars uh, on offer uh, as rewards for people. If, uh, if so, for the installer who installs the most devices uh, up until a certain time, you may just see a <laughs> you may just see a massive launch incentive like uh, like companies do. So we're very very excited. But what's really cool is this is the beginning of where it's going, Giles, because this is the future. Remote connecting to inverters or other devices, to batteries, to meters, to whatever it else it may be. We're um, we're super pumped. There you go. Plug over. Plug over. So is this where Agent Morris can just sort of sit down there and just sort of switch off your solar and stuff like that because he kind of feels a bit sort of overwhelmed by the amount of solar in the grid? Or, um, or well, there's a, a whole more, lot of... Or is it a bit more complex than that? It's just, well, oh, it's, you know... You know no, that sounds about the size of it then. <laughs> Agent Morris, he's got some clout. I'll tell you, we actually did the tests. We had to do tests for uh, AEMO before Christmas and so we actually contacted a bunch of customers and said, hey... Just so you know, we're actually going to do some experiments here and turn your system on, turn it off, uh, might dial it up, might dial it down. Um, is that okay? So we let them know before that happened and actually did the test, passed the test, got approved, got a little got a little certificate kind of thing saying, yep, you're good to go. Um, so we're now officially um, have passed all our uh, actual practical tests for turning real systems up and down and doing various mm. control things remotely. So it's, it's very, very cool, actually, and it's 100% the future. Well, hopefully there's going to be more visibility from this and accountability from this because you also note in your um, sort of speech notes or your sort of um, podcast notes that there's a bit of export limiting happening um, amongst the network networks. Now, I would have thought that one of the reasons why we have these new sort of, you know, protocols as we have in South Australia is that this doesn't happen, but you seem to be suggesting it's actually happening even more, maybe not in South Australia, but maybe in other states who just sort of, you know, it sounds like a ham-fisted way to um, sort of keep solar keep a lid on it well you're right on the money giles you've jumped right to point three and and you know um we've seen this before and we seem to be seeing it again and i know a couple of um um you know quite influential industry people have been asking um installers and saying well has the percentage of systems that are being export limited gone up or gone down in recent times and overwhelmingly overwhelmingly in the poll that we did uh, we had installers come back and say, no, 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 the number of systems that are being export limited or indeed zero export limited is going through the roof at the moment. And so part of this is a really interesting trend, Giles, because in fact, it's my 20, 2021 prediction. Uh, what we saw last year, as we well know and saw from the stats, is that the rise of solar last year was beyond everyone's expectations. Gangbusters year, gangbuster years both in small-scale rooftop and in large-scale uh, uh, behind-the-meter stuff as well. So the only tool that the networks and generators have at their disposal is to pull the bloody export limit. Sorry, I've sworn. But they pull the export limit lever on us and they go, oh, we've got to slow the amount of solar coming in because, you know, it's... 1852 in our heads and we can't deal with it so you know export limiting is something that we're seeing on the rise we predict if there's going to be a trend this year it may be that we're going to see more of it 
Um, but ironically, at the same time, down in South Australia, we've got, you know, halfway through the year, we're going to be doing dynamic export control and showing exactly how this could be done so that we can deliver that energy when it's most needed. We can keep the giant Gina Reinhardt's of this world happy and deliver energy and work with them dynamically. That's where the future is. So, yeah, we've got to be a little bit careful. And I think there's a, there's a real challenge for the industry to get on top of export limiting this year and make sure that it isn't just sledgehammered at us again well, as such a crude tool. Well, exactly right. And so we only find out about this through anecdotal evidence and surveys like the one that you've conducted with installers because the networks aren't very upfront about this, are they? Unless you happen to make an individual application for a solar system. Correct. Well, that's no good. Look, on that sort of slightly gloomy note, we're just going to take a message from one of our sponsors. The energy world is rapidly changing. Solar Analytics will give you the data to navigate this new energy landscape. Solar Analytics helps solar businesses save time and deliver better service to their customers by assuring their savings. Their hardware is incredibly flexible and fast to install on residential and commercial applications. And their software provides a rich user interface and satellite data with smart algorithms for simple, automated performance monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, connect with your solar and make the most of your home energy. And we'd like to thank, of course, all of our sponsors, um, Solar Analytics, SunWiz and Clenergy for their ongoing and continued support for Absolutely. this wonderful podcast. This They're wonderful not gloomy podcast. at all. No, 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 we're not gloomy at all. <laughs> Mate, um... We'll keep, we're going to keep a watch on this um, export limiting thing, but um, it sounds like you've seen a Tesla solar roof tile and are quite impressed. Look, two more real, I'll, I'll keep it really brief, but two more really good news stories, I think, uh, out in the, in the big wide world. Um, biggest Tesla roof tile um, installation in the US. Now, I, I, I was interesting, I jumped around a bunch of forums. There aren't many Tesla roof tile solar systems going in, from what I can see, and based on the feedback that I was looking at just late last night, actually, from a bunch of installers telling all sorts of stories about, you know, how challenging it's been and how the, the goalposts keep shifting around the roof tile. However, wonderful, wonderful story about a, a sort of a wellness retreat, actually, in Florida that put 44 kilowatts, decent size system of um, the, the beautiful uh, solar tiles that uh, Tesla make on. Um, uh, 44 kilowatts is equivalent to about 100 metres by 67 metres, you know, 6,700 square metres. Big, big, big roof area. Uh, so, you know, it's not uh, optimised for efficiency, but a big building. Uh, important to note that, you know, it's not at Australia's price of around 30 cents a kilowatt hour. It was actually up around $4.60 per watt. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was up there in terms of price, but that's a full roof replacement. That's a new roof, right? As well as a solar generation facility. And I have to say, it, my gosh, it was beautiful. It was just, a, it made this building, an old roof building into a gorgeous, gorgeous building. Uh, consists of about 800 individual uh, roof tiles slash solar panels. Um, so, you know, you know, there is a place in this world for gorgeous solar and there is a place in this world for innovators. Um, it's not for everybody, but, you know, um, great to see some of the um, Tesla roof tiles are finally being installed at scale on, uh, on decent-sized uh, buildings.
I'm just having a look at the um, article and the link that you've shared with us, and we'll try and post this with the podcast as well because it's it's quite interesting. I mean, it sounds expensive, particularly when you compare it to um, solar panels that you can install in Australia. I mean, like almost ten times the sort of per watt price. But he's still got a new roof, and after um, tax credits, um, renewable energy tax credits, the whole thing's starting to cost him twenty six thousand dollars American. Um, That's not a bad deal. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, that's actually the article's a bit confusing. That's for a smaller system. That's for a smaller. That would, oh, they refer that's to the seven, seven kilowatt one. Oh, uh, Giles, right. you haven't read it properly. I did the numbers. I did the numbers. This forty-four kilowatt system cost him in Aussie dollars about two hundred thousand dollars. Giles. Okay, I take that back. So <laughs> it was a com- it was a confusing article. Uh, I had to read twice and do some you know FX calculations. So it was an expensive system, but it was a roof. It wasn't just a solar system. It was a roof. It was a beautiful aesthetic. I mean, the, the photos of the building and the Twitter uh, photos of, of the building are, are stunning. So it's, um, you know, good on them, I say. Good, good on them. Absolutely. Good on them. Good on them. Have you got another piece of good news? Um, the world's highest um, floating solar plant or something. Oh, I just love this. And again, wonderful, wonderful images that I'm sure you'll post up there. But uh, right up in the Swiss Alps in the mountain village of... Uh, Borg Saint Pierre, uh, they've uh, laid claim to the, what they think. <laughs> Don't try and ask a bus driver to get there. <laughs> it's my, fr- my French, isn't it? Is that what you're saying? It's okay. Swiss French. Borg Saint Pierre. Borg Saint Pierre. Okay, good. So, anyway, uh, what is really cool is it's the world's highest floating solar power plant, which I just love a record. And, you know, photovoltaics float my, float my boat every time. I love the idea. And I was going, oh, why did they do that? And then when you look at it, they go, well, okay, so it's extraordinarily steep mountains everywhere you look, covered in snow and ice and, you know, tricky install. But here we have a flat lake. And so there was a couple of amazing photos, actually, of them literally helicopter dropping the solar array with the pontoons and the framing and the panels and everything already connected it. They flew it in with a chopper, drop it on the lake, boom, couple of cables, couple of wires, off you go. 1,800 metres, I'm simplifying that. Sorry, installers, I know it would have been horrendous. But 1,800 metres um, above sea level makes it uh, a record, I believe, for high-altitude Float of all takes. Love seeing innovative stuff just solve problems in new ways. So cool. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. We're getting a few little floating solar things around Australia, but most of them um been sort of sighted on the back of um, sewage ponds and things like that. Although I think some people have been talking about maybe sort of putting some over rivers and things like that, sort of help um, prevent um, and dams and things like that, um, help prevent evaporation. So um, that could be useful. But um, yes. I reckon the cotton farmers have got to get onto that, mate. They've got huge ponds, massive evaporation. It's the cotton farmers who are the next uh, prime target for that, I reckon. Oh, there you go. There's an idea for someone. Yeah. What are we going to wrap up with? Now, you've got, um, you got a couple of crap solar stories very quickly. A couple of quick ones. Um, a reminder about safety. There was very, very sad news um, in January, only a few weeks ago, in fact, uh, about a couple of solar installers who were working on a solar install. They were actually working on the switchboard. I don't know the full story yet. What I do know is that, according to the news article on 7 News, 
there was an explosion and uh, one of those, in, well, both installers were actually badly burnt. Um, it sounds like an arc fault or, you know, some kind of electrical issue that's caused a massive arc. It was described as an explosion by onlookers and I have it on good authority that, that you know, those two people are, were, were extremely seriously hurt and uh, our best wishes for a speedy recovery are out there for both of them. It's a reminder to everyone that, you know, uh, the humble um, 36 volt or 48 volt or 72 volt uh, DC solar panel connected in series in large scale arrays can be deadly. And when, especially when you're dealing with uh, high voltage switchboards, um, d don't take a shortcut, take care. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll report back as soon as we hear more on how those installers are. Mm, okay, yeah, no, thanks for that. Um, Wagga Solar Farms got into trouble for um, destroying artifacts, Aboriginal artifacts. Um, this is a bit of a, a bit of a gung ho thing. People not paying attention as well. Yeah, that's right. It was, I mean, it was an English, um, a UK based uh, uh, EPC developer of the site, and um, yeah, it sounded like they were kind of rushing and, uh, based on the article. And I actually followed a few links through to the local Indigenous group that were you know, behind the complaint about what they'd done. And it was an amazing site. Apparently it had, you know, stone tools and um, all sorts of amazing artifacts scattered across this site. And, and, and the developer came in and just rushed terribly. Um, I think there's going to be some interesting ramifications on this one because they, were, they got a very small slap on the wrist, really, the developer, $1,500 fine. And, you know, That's you so can't much. replace uh, thousands yeah. of years of cultural history. So... You know, it's a reminder to developers that uh, you need to sometimes uh, make less haste and um, take time and certainly respect the Indigenous uh, First Peoples of this country. Mm, mm. Mate, what else? Um, rooftop isolators. They're on the news again. There's been a increase, quite a big increase in um, fire stuff, um, according to the regulator. I just thought we knew a while ago that um, these DC isolators were not a, the best idea. I mean, is, is it going to get changed? Is there an alternative that we can just move on with? That's the million-dollar question, actually, Giles, is what is the alternative? Um, I've chatted with so many people and been involved in so many discussions over the years about, you know, the problems that DC isolator causes and DC isolators cause, and I acknowledge them. Uh, the majority of fires allegedly come, uh, or, or at least are seen in DC isolators. But one of the big problems that we have is we actually don't have great data. There's no forensic analysis done when a solar array catches fire. It, was it the DC isolator that was at fault, or was it a cable that was crimped wrongly? Was it the way the cables went into the conduit? So it was an insulation issue. Was it a fault that propagated somewhere else? but the isolator actually was the weak link, so it was the thing that went up, but that wasn't actually the root cause. So we don't actually know what the root causes are, and we don't have data on that. So, you know, there's a great opportunity here for, uh, for you know, really detailed analysis. One of the things we do know, solar systems, and I'm going to highlight this to, to anyone who's concerned, solar systems undergo almost 10 times the number of inspections of any other electrical installation. I mean, you can put down a, a foundation for a house and someone doesn't come out and inspect it, but you put a solar system on and a percentage of those are going to be installed. So we're, we're heavily regulated, uh, in, correct, in fact, incredibly regulated, um, uh, but we don't fully understand the problem. And, and statistically, you've got to remember, there are millions and millions of solar systems out there, some of them quite old now, you know, 8, 10, 15 years old. So 
it's inevitable, sad to say, that we're going to have some problems. So um, I think the key thing is to keep cool heads, get to the bottom of the problem, understand the data, look at the science, and and um, solve the problem. And um, but it's making the news at the moment, so we um, we do have to respect and acknowledge that you know it's causing nightmares for those people who are affected by it. But overall, low numbers, which is uh, which is one salvation. Well, it is, yes. Hey, now, just quickly, um, some concern about forced labour being used in some solar factories in um, China. I mean, we've heard of lots of problems in the news about the Uyghur community and, um, and accusations of suppression there. What's, what, what's, what's going on? Well, gosh, this was a rabbit warren of stories and news that I went down. But, uh, you know, the short version is a number of major manufacturers, and I won't, I won't pin names to them because a couple of them made statements saying they didn't think it was, it was fair or true or whatever else. But there is evidence out there cited by a number of organisations that, you know, literally tens of thousands of labourers who are going to work in solar companies mostly upstream where they're actually, you know, got very, very big facilities where they're processing silicon and making ingots to get ready to cut them into wafers and so forth, very sort of labour-intensive processes. And um, there's been a number of accusations. Well, there's, there's a number of claims that, that tens of thousands, in fact, not even claims, acknowledgement that tens of thousands of labourers have been transferred from some deeply impoverished counties uh, within um, the Uyghur autonomous region have been moved into these PV facilities. And I, I think this is one to watch, Giles, because, you know, what we want to do is make sure that the whole PV industry is righteous. I think I'm trying to think of a better term, but there were lots of interesting articles well, about... Well, sustainable and, um, and decent, yeah. I think, is decent. probably good work. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. There were articles about some of these people coming from impoverished regions, regions actually interviews allegedly, with some of them saying, you know, this is a this is a blessing for us. You know, we come from an area where there is no work. We need money. We need an income. We need a steady job. And some of these PV companies are potentially, you know, providing a, a stable income for them, which is a wonderful story around a wonderful industry. So I think we need to watch it carefully and make sure that they're being treated respectfully. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Mate, just to wrap up, um, some quick EV news. Hey, just before we go there, I just, um, well... No, this is a bit of EV news, actually. When we were down in Tasmania, we actually borrowed an electric vehicle and we had our first holiday in a rented um, electric vehicle. We went around Tasmania in a little Nissan Leaf and um, found out all the little foibles about electric vehicle charging and things like that. Um, yes. managed, to, managed to find one friendly pub where we were able to sort of, you know, add a bit of juice while we um, ate one of their beautiful fish pies. Um, I, I love it when you're on a holiday and you go, mate, can I just... Can I plug in next to your chip fryer there? Because <laughs> well, it wasn't quite that. Got, this, this, this place had all these PowerPoints in the uh, in the beer garden. Yep. I just yep. thought, perfect. And you could just drive into yep. the beer garden as you can, as you do. Yep. And uh, so we did. I love and, it. I've, I've <laughs> plugged into a beer garden or two on my electric motorcycle more than once, Giles. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the perfect combination, really. Well, you know, you've probably, you've probably got just as good as I, as I have for a PowerPoint, a spare oh, PowerPoint oh, somewhere. Oh, uh, just leap out at you. Three miles away. <laughs> anyway, um, Australian companies are making lots of electric motorcycles. Is that right? Well, not Australian companies, but but actually, uh, you know, I follow all the oh, a load of feeds. But what really intrigued me uh, over the Christmas break, just talking strictly about the coolest thing in the world, which is electric motorcycles. Two things. Number one, electric motorcycle startups are just 
they, they were just bobbing up all over the place. These amazing designs, uh, really innovative things, you know, die-cast metal chassis to bring down the cost. Um, a real trend towards lower power stuff, interestingly. You know, not, not super, super high power, but commuter style vehicles, but in nice packages. Lots of designs, retro designs, retro scooters out of, you know, the uh, the Eastern Bloc states. Uh, all sorts of really, really interesting designs. I think I counted something like 15 or 20 little electric motorcycle startups. So it's a really burgeoning space around the world and really fascinating to watch. Going to the other end... I'm going to say, much as I love Zero Motorcycles, as all the listeners know, and how I desperately, desperately, desperately want my Zero Motorcycle, electric motorcycle back on the road, I have to hand it to Energica. They made an announcement just a couple of days ago that they've now added Chadmo to their virtually all their models, uh, which means, you know, you can actually, you can't get them in Australia, sadly, but for all the international listeners... If you're going to buy an electric motorbike, I'm going to say it, buy an Energica. You can get 21 kilowatt hours of battery in an Energica with Chadmo fast charging, you know, and with the fast chargers that are popping up, like the wonderful products that we have from Tritium and everything else, you know, 100 kilowatts, 50 kilowatts, 200 kilowatts, you got fast charging. You're, you're charging these beasts in no time flat, and Energica are the only electric motorcycle manufacturer in the world with a production bike that's made in Italy and super beautiful, goes like stink, has amazing range, and now you can charge it in virtually no time. I, I want one. Get me one, please. <laughs> I want one. I want one. That's what, I, that's what my kids said to me when I sort of um, let them have a drive an electric mini that we um, had the use of for a week, and uh, they both said, well, this is nice. Oh. Can I have one? Yeah, can I, I have one? I said, I don't know. Can I have one? No. Um, not just yet. Um, anyway, Nigel, it's been great to have you back on the podcast. Look, I think we're going to um, restart, um, or you know, restart the uh, interviews with um, installers and other people with great stories to tell. And um, we'll bring you more news um, next time about our plans for a little special series about the future of solar. Oh yeah, stay tuned. And um, stay tuned, and um, and um, also to get ready for that video thing. So. Um, oh. That's about as that's about as that's that's, that's Almost exciting. too much to talk about. <laughs> Almost too much to talk about. Thank you once again to our sponsors, um, Solar Analytics, Sunwiz, and Clarity, and to all our listeners for your support and your engagement and your feedback. Um, please don't hesitate to give us um, your feedback. What you think, and um, we'll be back again in a fortnight. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clanergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clanergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clanergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, developers of smart solar software you can trust for homes, businesses and solar retailers right here in Australia. Get more from your solar. Visit solaranalytics.com.au.